Welcome to Swift Unwrapped. Swift Unwraps a show about Apple's programming language called Swift and uh, news and developments in that space. My name is JP Smard. And I'm Jesse Squires. Uh, this week, our sponsor is BuddyBuild, which is a continuous integration, continuous deployment, and user feedback platform for iOS and Android development teams. With BuddyBuild, you no longer have to worry about retrofitting legacy web infra and maintaining uh, build scripts uh, to meet your, your mobile dev needs. BuddyBuild is easy to set up. It only takes a few minutes. They have customized uh, or customization options uh, to, to match your app's uh, specific needs. There are thousands of companies uh, using BuddyBuild, uh, like Slack, Meetup, Firefox, and others. Uh, it's the, the fastest and most reliable way to build, test, and release their iOS and Android apps. Uh, so you can join all these developers already using BuddyBuild, and you can try it for free today at BuddyBuild.com. Yeah, it's funny that uh, this week's sponsor is uh, very relevant to what it is that we want to talk about today, which is uh, testing Swift. Uh, so specifically how Swift, the language, and the set of open source tools uh, are tested to make sure that every release uh, breaks as little as possible, uh, I guess you could say. Yeah, and so there are a number of components uh, that need testing. Uh, you have the compiler itself, the runtime, the standard library, uh, as well as uh, the core libraries like CoreLibs Foundation, LibDispatch, and uh, XCTest, which is a testing framework. Yeah, and let's not forget uh, the package manager, of course. Oh, yes. Which, uh, oh, yes. Which needs some good tests. So there are multiple approaches to test uh, all these different parts of uh, Swift. Uh, LLVM has uh, lit-based test suites, or there are LLVM lit-based test suites for the compiler runtime and standard lib, uh, unit tests for subtools, um, and then a selection of open source projects written in Swift, and uh, also in the uh, source compatibility suite. So how about we uh, we just kind of go over quickly what lit actually is and what it stands for and uh, maybe a bit of the history there. Yeah. So lit, as Jesse mentioned, is uh, part of the LLVM um, set of tools. It's a standalone test environment, basically. Uh, it's called the LLVM Integrated Tester. So that's what lit stands for. And the best high-level description that I've seen of it uh, really is that it really is more of kind of an integration test type tool where it will invoke certain commands that uh, that you pass into it. That's how you define your test. Tests are usually actually defined um, as, as part of source files that have comments uh, that direct how the list test should behave, right? Some of the things that it should uh, execute, right? So things like commands. Um, and then also in line within the the test itself within the thing that it's compiling usually so that could be a swift file there'll be comments that um show what 
uh, the lit tool should expect to see in whatever the output of the command that, that is run uh, is, is being piped out. And so one kind of high-level example, for example, could be say you're testing that the uh, Swift intermediate language representation being emitted has certain keywords for a certain given input Swift file, right? You could have a lit test that um, is basically defined in this Swift file. Say it's, uh, I don't know, print uh, string literal, right? It could be that simple. Uh, the very top, you'd have a comment that instructs lit what command it should run. For example, that could be Swift C emit IR or something, or Swift C emit SIL. And then usually right next to the line that's being compiled, sometimes a little bit further down, you'll have um, these expect statements that are in comments, right? So it's entirely d- kind of declarative, really, um, that says, uh, well, when lit runs this file, you should expect in this order all of these different strings in the output, right? So it could be expect that this print literal statement uh, then translates to what the intermediate language representation of that is. Or you could do the same thing with uh, just like SIL, you could do it with IR, or you could do it with uh, even the resulting binary. And of course, this isn't just for the compiler. It can be used in, in other things like even testing source kit and IDE integration, et cetera. Um, but this isn't unique to Swift. It's part of the LLVM infrastructure, and uh, it's a big way that Clang itself is tested as well, that LVM is tested, that all the backends for it. So it, it ends up being a very um, high-level tool. It doesn't matter what language uh, this tool is being tested in. It's not like XC test or Nimble, um, where the tests themselves are written in the same language that you're, um, that you're testing your app in. Yeah, it's kind of like its own DSL, right? It is, yeah. yeah. Um, lots of great documentation in lvm.org slash docs, uh, command guide lit. And there's, there's so many options here, but, but really that's kind of a high level overview of, of what lit is and the things that it can do. So that's what all those strange comments are. If you've ever seen them in the Swift source code. That's right. That's how like compiler errors are tested, right? So, uh, an example lit test would be have invalid Swift, uh, and then have an expect statement after compilation that says it should produce this error. So the lit tool is used to test the compiler, the runtime, standard library, and some of the uh, additional tools. But uh, really, some of these additional tools, like for example, SourceKit, right, um, or the um, the migrator, they have their own kind of dedicated one-off ad hoc testing utilities that. Um, are really not necessarily all that complex, um, but it really just is a tool that helps um, kind of test inputs and outputs. Let's make sure that uh, that what we expect to be happening is happening here. So there's no like overarching XC test equivalent testing framework that's used to test Swift itself. Um, there's really kind of a small collection of ad hoc tools that are purpose-built uh, exactly to test kind of end-to-end behavior of all the subcomponents. Yeah, and I think one of the the big ones there, at least one that may be most familiar to listeners, is the uh, recently announced uh, source compatibility suite. Uh, and so there you have this kind of end-to-end or like integration testing where uh, we mentioned this before on, on the show. Um, you can add people from the community can add their own project to, to this test suite. And basically the, the goal is to test 
source compatibility. And so like JP was just saying, this is very like domain specific or like tool specific uh, suite of tests. And uh, basically this, this small tool that was built uh, specifically for this purpose of compiling uh, a bunch of projects to test source compatibility. Right. Um, there are so many things that are re- being tested, really, uh, that we're not going to be able to go over all of them uh, in today's show. But we do want to kind of give an overview. Um, these these tests, uh, for example, in the Swift main repo itself, there's uh, utils build script, um, which you can use to build tool chains, uh, etc. But this build script also kind of abstracts away a lot of the lower level testing commands that you can run and kind of packages them up quite nicely. So there's the dash dash test option that you can pass in. Uh, you can run a validation test, um, which is useful when uh, you're, you're kind of running a uh, larger set of tests. Um, and this is useful if you're contributing to the Swift uh, code base yourself. You can run these locally. Uh, you can even run kind of a subset of the tests. Um, because running all tests on all platforms um, in its entirety is really not um, a a reasonable thing to do because it takes a very long time. Uh, There's even a subset of the tests uh, that are called long tests that uh, are expected to take um, even like over an hour, uh, even on a powerful machine. So there's a lot that you can do via this, uh, this build script. Um, so we, we touched on validation tests. What are some of the other uh, tests that we should be talking about? So another uh, form of testing uh, that you've seen around on the, the Swift projects is uh, smoke testing. Uh, so for example, on macOS, a smoke test will build LVM and Clang incrementally, build Swift clean, then it'll build the standard library uh, clean only for macOS. LODB is not built, um, and then the test and validation uh, test targets are run uh, only for uh, macOS, and it's the optimized version, uh, or the optimized version of uh, those tests are not run. So it's a more lightweight and presumably faster kind of sanity check uh, to run these smoke tests instead of running the full-fledged test suite uh, which would take quite a bit of time. Right. So this avoids building some of the non-core uh, aspects. And usually uh, the the places where I see core team members request a smoke task, smoke, smoke test is either, um, say, like the first iteration of a PR that you know that someone's going to continue working on. You might not necessarily... Um, want to, uh, to to run the full gamut of tests, right? You just kind of want to get a sanity check. Or um, if there is a very small localized change that's being done, like for example, fixing a typo in a local variable that you know won't extend in, in scope beyond that, uh, you can run a smoke test and, and it really is kind of a quick sanity check. And oftentimes with those focused small changes, um, that's all that Swift core team member will actually request before merging the PR. And I found that even like documentation updates and um, like fixing fixing typos in, in doc comments um, will still go through a smoke test before being merged. If for whatever reason, there's some aspect that's expecting the comment to be a certain thing, well, at least that's a quick sanity check. So that's usually the first test that, that'll be built unless a core team member thinks that a, comp, a complex PR is already uh, ready for full end-to-end testing. 
at which point we get to, to validation testing. So validation testing is, is much more comprehensive. It'll run all of the tests. And um, a very important distinction between that and the smoke test is that it won't build any of its prerequisites incrementally. It'll build it all clean. It'll build it all from scratch so that you're sure that you know, it doesn't, doesn't accidentally affect compilation. Yeah, and usually you'll see uh, these full tests run once a PR, if it's required, uh, a lot of follow-ups or a lot of additional work, then this full validation test might be run at the very end instead of uh, on every change, for example, uh, to kind of save a lot of time and a lot of CPU power on the Swift CI servers. Uh, After that, There is benchmark testing or benchmarking, uh, testing performance and tracking performance regressions. Yeah, so the benchmark test kind of runs a large set of performance tests. And most of this is only at the Swift language level and at the uh, Swift standard library level. So I don't think that there are performance tests for uh, any of the other projects like uh, LibDispatch or um, CoreLibs Foundation or XCTest, etc., but this is especially useful if, say, someone's working on an optimization. Uh, you'd run a benchmark to make sure that it doesn't regress in some cases, because oftentimes that's uh, that's the case when you're trying to optimize something. You might speed up one case, but make the pathological case even worse, for example. So this is a great way when when you're dealing with performance-sensitive code or anything that might affect uh, performance, you'd, you'd run a benchmark test. And this is only done on Mac OS which I think at a higher level is, is kind of really interesting because it means that uh, it's much more difficult to identify performance regressions on other platforms that have diff- different behaviors like Linux or iOS. Yeah, for sure. Uh, I, I, I remember seeing uh, a handful of PRs over the past few weeks or so implementing improvements to string and array in the standard lib uh, and a few other types and seeing like the, uh, the benchmark uh, performance test results on those. There have been a lot of cases where uh, I think these tests have provided a lot of value where you can see like these these big performance wins. Absolutely. One of the things I'd like to see um, is benchmarking applied to the Swift compatibility test suite. Uh, not benchmarking runtime, but me- benchmarking compile time. Mm-hmm. Um, and I do think that uh, some tests or some part of continuous integration, which we'll get to in a minute, uh, does do measurements on compilation times, but uh, I I honestly don't know where that is. Yeah. Uh, so a while back, uh, Jordan Rose added a, uh, a Swift flag. Uh, you can pass to the compiler, you can set up your Xcode project uh, to pass this flag. Uh, you pass X front end and warn long function bodies. Um, and then you pass a number where that number is the uh, number of milliseconds you'd like the warning threshold uh, to be. So uh, you add this, you compile your Swift project, and let's say you pass 100 uh, for that uh, that threshold. Then uh, if any function in your project takes longer than 100 milliseconds to compile, the compiler will actually emit a warning. Um, and then uh, this hooks into Xcode, obviously, so you get like the little warning and the sidebar, um, and then you can go um, and adjust that function. Usually, you know, some adding explicit type annotations or something would help improve that compile time. But that's for you know compiling, measuring, compiling your uh, source code. 
um, not measuring uh, compiling the compiler. Yeah, that's right. And I, I've seen a few occasions where um, people, I, I know this recently happened with Swift PM where um, uh, all of a sudden a change landed in the Swift compiler and it increased their compile times drastically or maybe not drastically, but significantly enough to, uh, to warrant investigation. Uh, and I'm, I'm just not sure if, uh, if measuring either the time it takes to build the compiler is done on an automated or ongoing basis, or if there's any, um, any benchmarks for, uh, how long it takes for Swift code to compile with changes to the Swift compiler. And related to the worn uh, long function bodies uh, flag that you just mentioned, there's also a um, X front end debug time function bodies, which rather than emit a warning or an error, if uh, a threshold is uh, exceeded, it will just log out all of the durations that it took to um to compile, uh, interesting. Yeah, all all of the declarations that you have in your entire module, um, and I use this on on a fairly regular basis to uh, just kind of go go and clean up. Usually, there's you know a very small uh, number of parts of the code that uh, disproportionately really add a considerable amount to the compilation time of my app, and so I'll use this debug time function bodies. Uh, which Brian Irace blogged about uh, just about a year ago, and I found extremely helpful because just addressing maybe like the uh, top one, two, or three most egregious c- cases in in an app will um, shave off like maybe half of its entire compile time. Uh, so it's a worthwhile exercise. Yeah, definitely. Uh, and at least on the the worn long function bodies flag, that is like an unofficial thing. Uh, as far as I know, so it could be removed uh, at any time. Um, I'm pretty sure the intent with that was for uh, the Swift team to uh, to do their own measurements and stuff with that internally. Um, so I hope it stays uh, at least for a little while longer, but uh, it could disappear one day. Right. So, yeah. Is that the same with the other flag you mentioned? I think... Uh... All of the X front end flags are unofficial, uh, uh, as far as I know. Is that all? Ex- is is all of that uh, just experimental features and other things? Not necessarily. Or? I just don't think that uh, the Swift team have made any commitments about them being um, you know, supported indefinitely. I see. Right. So I think for the most part in practice, if you're trying to use them and you hit some problems, definitely go ask on the Swift users mailing list. But uh, and and someone will help you out. You know, they're not designed to be there and to be completely unusable. Uh, they're designed to be there, but uh, just don't depend on them staying for all of Swift's lifetime for forever. Or we can have a developer outrage and bring it back like Swift standard lib tool. Ah, no, <laughs> let's not do that. Um, no, uh, and and you know all of these flags for the Swift compiler uh, by necessity are, are open source. You know, uh, it's all in the open source projects. Um, so that's benchmarking. There's also kind of an interesting one that I don't see all that often being used in practice, but there's a lint test, uh, which really just runs um, a linter on the Python code in in the Swift project. Um, so unless you're kind of modifying the the build script or the driver. Uh, you usually don't see that being run all that often. Yeah, exactly. Um, actually, I don't think I've ever seen anyone run that on a PR or something yet. Yeah, I'm sure it's happened, but I haven't noticed. 
Yeah. So we talked about source compatibility testing already. Uh, and then there's a, a last one that um, you can do, which is the uh, the preset testing. Uh, so there are a number of presets. Uh, for example, there's a um, build bot incremental. And then you can pass a, a handful of, uh, of arguments to this. And this gives you a bit more f- uh, flexibility in terms of a subset of tests that you want uh, to, to be applied, usually with uh, various parameters. Yeah. Uh, and so that kind of brings us to how um, all of this actually works and like how these tests are invoked. Uh, so one interesting thing, I think, is that uh, there's the, the Swift CI bot uh, that you've probably seen around or at least heard people mention. Uh, so it's a, a GitHub bot at Swift-CI. And uh, this bot is manually invoked by the Swift team to execute all these different tests, uh, full validation tests, smoke testing, benchmarking, et cetera. There are specific commands uh, that you that you give to the CI bot, um, and then it does what you ask. It'll come back with a comment on the pull request uh, with the results. It's interesting because typically the flow that you see in application development is no matter what, any PR or even commit uh, CI is run uh, immediately on that PR or commit and just immediately and automatically, it doesn't have to be manually invoked uh, in a lot of other environments. But I think the main reason that that's done here is because it's just so expensive to run all of these tests. Yeah, that's definitely part of it, right? And if you're just tweaking, say, a comment uh, or one of the markdown docs that are in the source, <laughs> you, know, you don't you don't want to have to wait, you know, hours to be able to merge that in and, and lock up those um, physical computers uh, that are that are powering the CI system. Uh, and then there's a second aspect, which I'm I'm sure is relevant here. Um, there there are security implications for arbitrarily running um, any PR <laughs> that uh, that you send someone, right? Right. So you know, if someone was trying to scrape uh, the secrets that all of the CI workers have access to, then you know, hopefully that would be caught by a Swift, a Swift core team member, or anyone with um, CI access. Uh, of which there are a few people who are outside of Apple who have access, right, and can mm-hmm. request tests, uh, then it would be caught by them and hopefully wouldn't uh, you know, cause terrible harm. Right. I didn't think about that. Uh, that could be dangerous. <laughs> right. Um, so actually something to keep in mind for your own testing in CI infrastructure is <laughs> if you happen to have secret tokens that your CI machines have, um, yeah, uh, either protect them well uh, which is kind of hard to do, or avoid arbitrary users pushing code to that. Yeah. Um, so yeah, Swift CI is is a terrific tool. Uh, the the CI bot, um, it's basically a bridge between the Jenkins instance that powers uh, that does the test coordination for all the Macs and Linux boxes that um, that can perform these CI tests and GitHub. So you can interact with it. You can request tests from uh, GitHub pull request comments. Right? So you do at Swift CI, please smoke, text, uh, please smoke test Linux platform, for example. Uh, and that'll be run. And um, it can often come back with a, uh, a, a response, another comment in that GitHub thread. Um, and the most interesting one of those that I think I've seen is... Um, the benchmarking uh, format, uh, where it can produce a, a markdown table that's in line into the GitHub comment and um, basically have a table of kind of 
before the change and after the change. Um, and it can automatically kind of expand just the regressions or just the improvements, for example. So that's that's pretty helpful. Yeah, it's really cool to see. Uh, it's also uh, interesting to note that this was not around when Swift open source launched. Uh, it actually took a little while uh, for uh, all of the CI stuff to, to roll out. Uh, there's a blog post. Uh, the official blog post announcing it was uh, in February uh, 2016. Uh, so that was a little while after the open source announcement. About three months. Yeah. yeah. And then even then it was pretty limited as far as I remember. I think all you could do was say Swift, Swift CI, please test. Um, and then they added uh, specific platform testing and then the benchmark stuff landed um, and so it's expanded quite a bit since uh, it first rolled out. Yeah, and there's uh, there's a handful of really great people who all appear to be at Apple, right? There's Nicole Jacques, Michel Shaw, uh, Luke Larson, who we've seen before kind of maintain this um, this infrastructure, and they're the folks who are up, you know, from eight to midnight some nights performing um, maintenance updates on all this infrastructure, and uh, you know anyone who's worked with CI systems before know that they're uh, always reliable. <laughs> they're always super reliable and they never need maintenance. Um, no, but they tend to, uh, to require a lot of love just to keep going, just to, to not fall down and, and have tests fail all the time. And so really kudos to those people who uh, hopefully can kind of take that burden away from some of the core Swift team members, at least a little bit. Uh, so that uh, those folks can focus on on writing code, not maintaining infrastructure. Yeah, and I know I've seen lots of PRs fixing different bugs, and there are always tests there, uh, almost always. And so, definitely, as as we go on, um, not only is like the integration uh, infra going to uh, expand and hopefully get better, uh, but the test suite is growing with every PR as well. So. Uh, hopefully, all of these things, uh, including just contributing to Swift, becomes easier and easier as we go on because all this infra um, and all these test suites are uh, continually being built up and improved. That's right. Yeah, and a big part of CI as well isn't just uh, all this testing, um, which is the focus of this episode, but it's also things like uh, automatically publishing the snapshot builds, um, right? So they're... Uh, Swift.org uh, slash download uh, provides a number of, of snapshots. Um, there's also, uh, it provides, uh, what do they call it? Are they called daily snapshots? But they're, they're done on a fa- fairly regular basis. Uh, basically, as often as the tests pass, yeah, I can't seem to, to find them at the moment, but uh, those are, are very helpful. If, for example, um, a bug was just fixed and merged up in, in master, for example, and you want to pull it down, pull down a tool chain and make sure that uh, that it actually resolves your issue, um, those are incredibly helpful. Yeah, and if you follow the, uh, the different Swift projects uh, on GitHub, and if you're up late at night looking at your GitHub notifications, you'll see like 30 or so notifications from the Swift CI bot doing all those automated uh, snapshots. Yeah, uh, extremely helpful. Not that I've ever done that. <laughs> <laughs> Come on, Jesse, go to go to bed, go to sleep. Uh, one aspect of, of all this testing uh, that we should mention is the cross-project testing, where um, 
say you're uh, filing a PR for Corlib's foundation, and it depends on a change um, that's uh, that is in a PR for the Swift compiler or in the standard library, for example, you can say, um, please test with this project at, at this, uh, at this commit, um, which is also extremely helpful because prior to this existing, uh, this is a fairly recent uh, addition was probably added about four months ago. Prior to this, you'd have to just kind of hope that, um, changes that needed to land simultaneously were actually compatible. Uh, which given the complexity of all these projects was kind of challenging to do. I remember trying to land a, a PR like that myself. I think it was, um, yeah, both in Corelib's foundation and the Swift compiler or the standard library. And, uh, the, the Corelib's foundation one just failed, obviously, because, um, it wasn't, uh, wasn't updated everywhere. And so, um, we needed to do, uh, a follow-up commit afterwards to go and patch it up uh, because we couldn't test them together. So that's that's a pretty useful one if you're contributing to anything, any Swift project that's not the main Swift repo itself. So if you're doing uh, libdispatch or if you're doing Swift package manager, et cetera. Yeah, even with LLVM and Clang, if you depend on changes from that as well, right? Uh, from either of those projects, you can run into these issues or you could have before. Side note on all of that, uh, there's actually discussion a while back about moving to a mono repo for Swift, or maybe that was for LLVM, I, or maybe both. Uh, but basically, moving all of these projects uh, into a single repo, and then you wouldn't have like these cross repo issues and like all this different syncing that you have to do. Uh, but that debate we can save for another episode. <laughs> yeah, I'm not super familiar with the uh, discussions around that, but um, you know, it it certainly is a source of pain um, to have to check out multiple different repos that um, you know require uh, specific points in time to be able to compile, right? And there's the um, the update checkout tool in the utils directory of the main Swift repo that's useful for that, but it uh, makes a lot of assumptions as to your local state of development. Uh, it makes assumptions like that it can automatically apply a rebase to whatever changes that you have stashed in there or, or committed in, in those projects. Uh, and that can often cause you know, failure to compile. And so the only way to, to really make sure that, um, that tools like that will work is if you have an entirely clean environment, uh, which isn't always easy to guarantee. Yeah, definitely. Uh, that, Checkout script also requires uh, specific directory structures for everything as well. Uh, it, it expects everything to be in a certain place. So, Yeah, I think that about sums up what I wanted to bring up for, for testing. Uh, do you have anything else? No, I think uh, that's it for this episode. Um, once again, we'd like to thank BuddyBuild for uh, sponsoring. You can find them at BuddyBuild.com. And you can find me uh, on Twitter, Jesse underscore Squires. You can find me on Twitter at SimJP and the show is at Swift underscore Unwrapped. Thanks for listening. Yeah.